What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. People saying I underperformed in A-ball and, and articles about me, you know, potentially being a bust after just one season and stuff. So there was a lot of a lot of stuff that I if, like if I go back in time, I would just tell myself like, hey, dude, like, don't make a Twitter. Welcome back to another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we're talking to our first college player to be featured on the series, a first-round pick in 2012 by the Rays out of Clemson, Richie Schaefer. Richie was a phenom in the truest sense. In this episode, we talk about him being viewed as a top-round talent in two separate drafts, what it's like to turn down seven figures at age 18, what it's like to be a first-round pick, and then what it's like to be a guy who, you know, frankly struggled with a lot of aspects of minor league life and what it's like to try to stick in the big leagues. Richie has a ton of personality, which you're going to, you know, you can see now on his Twitch channel and in his upcoming sci-fi novel. There will be a link to that in the show notes. But um, yeah, it was just a really candid interview on his career now that he can look in the rear view and, and see how things shook out. As always, if you enjoy this episode, check out previous episodes where we talk to high school signees, including a few former big leaguers, another first round pick. Uh, we're moving into talking to players from a wider variety of backgrounds. We've got a couple exciting college guys upcoming. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast for those episodes when they drop every other Tuesday. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. With the Major League season getting underway, make sure you're also subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com. On the site and the magazine, they've been putting together some reports on the prospects in the MLB Summer Camp, and they just released a top 100 high school and college prospects for the 2021 draft. Just a lot of great stuff going on at BA. It is always a good time to be a subscriber. Could not recommend it more. With that, let's talk to former first-round pick and big leaguer, Richie Schaefer. All right, on today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, I am joined by the 25th overall pick in the 2012 draft by the Rays out of Clemson University, former big leaguer Richie Schaefer. Richie, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Before we dive into your career, um, in your, let, let's talk your post baseball career real quick. Uh, tell the folks where they can follow you on social media and what you have, what you have going on since you have retired from baseball. Yeah, obviously the next step is always uh, interesting. We're trying to transition from baseball into you know what what the rest of the world has to offer for you. So um, right now I am I stream on Twitch. I stream video games on Twitch every Monday, Wednesday, Friday under a little uh, persona that I made up a couple years back while I was still playing called Dicky Danger. Uh, it's kind of a funny story uh, about that name. I was um, 
I was in 2016 or so. I was in AAA and I was, I was, uh, you know, struggling a little bit. I needed something to uh, mix it up. So I grew out a mustache because a buddy of mine convinced me to do so. And I started raking immediately and uh, I ended up getting called up. And my buddy's like, are you going to keep that or not? I'm like, I guess I, I guess I have to, right? Yeah. So I ended up getting called up and all the guys are like, oh my gosh, what is on your lip? And I'm like, hey man, I can't help it. It's the mash stash. So, and everyone's giving me a hard time saying I looked like some skeezy uh, private detective, private investigator who lived like in Palm Beach somewhere. So they call me Dick Danger PI. So, uh, that's where that kind of stemmed from. So I, I, uh, I stream on Twitch under that little character persona, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, Twitch TV dot. Dickie Danger. And then I'm also writing a sci-fi novel that should be coming out here hopefully in the next like two months or so called The Eight of Earth. Um, and I have a like author website called SchaeferStories.com, which I write some short stories and stuff on there. But this will be my first full like debut novel. I'm really excited about it. Well, man, whatever, like with the, uh, with the Dickie Danger thing, whatever, whatever you need to do to get hits. I mean, you gotta, you gotta always try Absolutely. something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's go back to when you didn't need uh, didn't need any sort of persona to to rake. Let's go back to your high school days. Um, you know, you're you're from the you're you know from North Carolina, you're from the Charlotte area. When did you know that being a professional baseball player, or at least a next level baseball player, was going to be a real possibility for you? I don't know. It's interesting, man. Like I feel like you never really you never really feel like you're going to be a, a big leaguer until you're actually there. I mean, I always, it's interesting. You go through this weird, like uh, confidence arc where you're convinced when you're like 15 years old that you're going to play in the big leagues. And then the closer you get to it, the, the like less confident you get, even though you keep moving up the ladder. Um, so I don't know, but I think like probably around my sophomore year of high school, I noticed that, you know, I, I kind of stood out a little bit and that I, you know, there's a real possibility that, you know, I'm, you know, this could be something that could really, uh, you know, really take me to the next level in terms of baseball and stuff. And I'd always worked extremely hard at it. And it was always, you know, my, my goal, my future, but it wasn't until probably my sophomore year of high school where I made a really big jump and really started to see myself sort of break away from a lot of people and thought, you know what, maybe this could, maybe this could really happen. You're regarded as a, as a pro prospect as well out of high school. Who, who started showing up first for you, college coaches or the, our pro scouts? Yeah, I mean, like I said, because I sort of took off pretty early in my high school career, I started getting a lot of attention, you know, just really early. Um, I started getting just like floods of uh, college coaches and letters in the mail and stuff like that. I'd have, you know, area scouts for pro teams show up. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like this incremental increase. It was just all of a sudden like everyone was just there all the time. So I don't know if I did something somewhere along the way that like stood out and people just started showing up. But it just seemed like. One day I was, you know, just playing high school baseball, hanging out. The next day there was, you know, 50 scouts in the stands at every one of my games. And I was getting intentionally walked every game, like never getting pitched to. And all the scouts would be all upset. So it was, uh, it was, it was a really, really quick, really quick transition. How do you as a high schooler kind of handle that, that sort of attention when it, when it all blows up at once and suddenly you're not getting pitched to? How does it affect how you go about the game? Did you start thinking about needing to impress the scouts, needing to impress the colleges, or were you still you still having fun playing baseball in high school? Um, yeah, I mean, it, you obviously it's it's really difficult to handle that you know type of attention, and obviously when you're 16 years old, you don't know any better. Your ego obviously gets gigantic because you think you're like God's gift to baseball, <laughs> um, no matter what, and so. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely, I think it gets to the point where I don't think it ever really affected me in terms of like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta do well for the scouts. It was almost like I had such a like naive confidence that I was like, you know, it doesn't even matter if I don't do anything. Like I'm so good. These people know, you know what I mean? Like I, I never felt like, oh, I got to prove to them. It was like in my brain, I was already I'd already proven something, even though I proved nothing. You know what I mean? So, but that's just when you're young and you're just blindly confident in everything. That's just sort of how it works. So I never got frustrated with it ever because I almost took it as like, I almost got more upset when people did pitch to me. I'm like, wait, do you think you can get me out? Are you serious? Like, like offended? Yes, right? I mean, I was like a super like, oh God, I think back when I was younger, I just got kind of such a little uh, arrogant little guy, but um yeah, I mean, but that's just how the nature of the beast. You're 15, 16 years old and you got the whole world telling you that you're awesome and that you're going to play in the big leagues for 20 years. You just, you tend to, you know, not have any other sense of uh, perspective. So, you know, when you're in high school, that never really affected me too much. Um, and plus I committed to Clemson really early. I know you'll touch on that a little bit, but like, so I already felt like my commitment was already there. So the pressure was just sort of off and I could kind of go out there and play. And I was very into the team dynamic for sure. With that commitment to Clemson, you were deemed as a, you, you were a pro prospect heading into the draft. Baseball America had a really favorable report about, you know, your, your prospects, even despite a couple injuries. What led to your decision to commit so strongly to Clemson or to put out such a, a tough signability number? What was it about college ball that was that appealing to you? I don't know. I mean, I think so... I mean, I guess you a little bit about my background. My father was um, in the FBI for almost 20 years. So he grew up in a very, you know, like my dad is, you know, I love my dad to death. He's very, you know, he's very, we came up with like strict rules and it was very like, there was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like there was a very structured and, and strict sort of upbringing. And that same sort of mentality was in my high school coach as well, Danny Hignite, who's, you know, I love that man to death. I would, you know, go to battle for that guy any day of the week. But he also had a very, you know, he ran a very tight, no nonsense type of ship. And I think when I committed to Clemson and Jack Leggett, that was just a natural progression for me. It just everything seemed like that was, you know, very natural next step for me. And, and Jack was notoriously like, and if, if you know nothing about Jack Leggett, he's, I call him like a football coach that coaches baseball. <laughs> I mean, like he's so intense and, uh, you know, he had us, he'd have some like up downs and stuff like that for conditioning and stuff. So I don't know, it just seemed like a very natural progression for me and professional baseball, as much as I wanted to be in the big leagues, it just wasn't it never, it just wasn't on my radar that that was like the only route to go. And I really valued my education. Uh, I thought that playing here, and, and if I'm being completely honest, I just wasn't, I wasn't mentally ready, maturity wise, emotionally, like anything to, to go start, you know, and be an adult at 18 years old out in the real world and try to like. Were you aware of that then, or is that a retrospective thing? I think that's a retrospective thing, but I, I definitely think subconsciously I like knew that. I don't think I don't think if you would have asked 18 year old me that like, I would admit that I, you know, was possibly scared to go like, you know, have to live in an apartment on my own out in the middle of, you know, Hudson Valley, New York, where my short season would have been or whatever. Like, I don't necessarily think I would have admitted to that now, but I definitely think looking back on it, I definitely think that's something that helped me um, or not, not help me, but, you know, definitely weighed in Clemson's favor for sure is that I was very um, that seemed professional baseball seemed very intimidating to me. 
So what was the pre-draft process like for you? Because it wasn't like the teams were going to leave you alone completely just because you had a strong commitment to Clemson. How did heading up to the draft your senior year in 2009, what was your contact with teams? How much were you really were you really putting yourself out there in terms of I would like to be drafted? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely put a number out there for sure. Um, but I definitely think that I priced myself to a point where like it would be unrealistic for me to ever turn that down. So it was almost like I basically didn't want to have a decision. I wanted to either be like, this is a no brainer here. You take this and go because this is going to be like life altering or, you know, you go do sort of what your heart is set to do and go to Clemson. Um, I mean, there was plenty of, I, I guess if we back up again a little bit, what happened in 2009, my senior year is I broke my hammock bone in my hand, like the very beginning of the season. So I basically didn't even hit the entire season. I just pitched. Um, I had surgery on it and then I was basically out for the first, I don't know, four weeks or so. I couldn't do anything. And then I just started basically pitching from that and I couldn't hit. So that really helped my decision a lot too, was that I wasn't out there as a senior putting up some gaudy offensive numbers that were, you know, going to make my large ask for my signing bonus a little more realistic. But I, I still had two separate teams, um, call and make first round offers to me the day before the draft. And neither of them got to the number that I had wanted. And I was pretty dead, like pretty headstrong. And I told him like, Hey, listen, like I am going to like, if you, if you come and offer anything below this, I'm just not going to take it. There's not going to be any negotiation at all. I'm just letting you know that like, there's nothing against you guys. I'm just letting you know it's this number or nothing. There's no wiggle room. So I two teams call and they, you know, they shot their shot. I respect them for it, but I told them both no right away. And then basically after those two calls came in, I think it was pretty clear um, that, that number wasn't going to be hit. And so I was totally happy going to college. Well, the Dodgers popped you in the 25th round and that was pre uh, draft bonus pool days. Did they make any attempt to sign you at all? Or was it like a, Hey, we're drafting you enjoy college. They, I mean, they, they gave a little bit of an attempt, but I basically told them right away. I was like, Hey, you know, I had some offers already. I turned them down. I highly, highly doubt you're going to be able to beat that in the 25th round. Like I'll be really happy in college. And I'm like, Whoa, hold on, hold on. Like here, what we got to say first. And I'm like, I just, guys, I just don't think you're going to be able to get there. Like I appreciate it. Um, I'm grateful for, you know, the selection and flatter, but I, I, my, my heart's kind of set here. So I didn't really give them too much of a chance. Um, I never spoke to anyone in the front office or anything. Basically the area scout called me who, drafted me uh pretty like legendary <laughs> scout lon joyce i'm not even sure if lon's scouting anymore or not but he scouted for a really long time in my area and he calls me he's got this, like long slow southern draw and he's like oh hey richie how you doing we just want to let you know we drafted you i'm like lon let me stop you right there man like i don't think you guys can be able to do it i'm going to college he's like hold on hold on hold on so i think lon tried to wiggle in there but i never actually had any negotiations or anything with the front office all right so you you had to you had to Clemson as a you know a touted recruit, probably one of the jewels of their recruiting class. But you also had there with the personal knowledge that you turned down some some big money to go to school, and you know there there's the knowledge that you're a big recruit. You're probably expected to do big things when you get to Clemson. Did you feel that weight on your shoulders, or was going to college and playing a pretty seamless transition? Yeah, I'm telling you, like I think if. At, you know, almost 30 years old now, I would have gone through that situation. I definitely think that would have weighed on me. But when you're young and you're just, you have this blind 
naive confidence that like you are going to just take over the world that I don't even think that really registered in my head. Like I don't, I don't even under, I'm not sure that the, the concept of turning down a million dollars even registered in my brain that that like, if I don't pan out in college, I, you know, I lost an opportunity to have a million. So when you're so like, I just was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go to college. I'm going to be even better than I was. I'm going to get drafted in the first round again. No worries. Whatever. You know, it was just so like, it was just so naive and, and blindly confident in my, the success that was going to happen that I, it didn't even weigh on me for a moment. And, um, and I never, I never felt like this, this weight of expectation to succeed or anything like that. Honestly, none of that stuff even started until I got a little older and got like into the higher levels of the minor leagues. Did you hit from the get go at Clemson, like even from the fall or was there any loading period or adjustment period or were you just, you picked up right where you left off in high school or besides actually like getting pitched to in fall ball? Yeah, no, I mean, I came out of the gate, you know, pretty seamlessly. Like I, I, translated really well um but again there's this this thing where like i i played really well in the fall and then i had like two injuries back to back in my freshman year um that sort of you know curtailed my development early so right before the start of the season maybe like the weekend before opening day i'm playing first base uh there's a ground ball hit we're playing like a little inner squad scrimmage the ground ball hit to third third baseman throws the ball in the dirt. I go to scoop it. It hits like the lip bounces over my glove and smokes me right in the eye. I'm talking like destroy, like probably breaks like some orbital bones and stuff. I mean, it was the worst black. I couldn't see for weeks. It was like completely swelled shut. And, uh, so I was supposed to be, you know, I was supposed to start, uh, at first base at that point. And then that was kind of wiped out. I missed a little bit of the beginning of the season for that. Um, I mean, I got in there, like, I, I think I got in at bat, maybe opening day or whatever, but I had to wear these huge glasses. That I can barely see out of my left, like, it was my left eye. So it was my lead eye, obviously, towards the pitcher. So I couldn't really see very well. So I didn't really play all that much. And then in early March, I was playing first base again, throw up the line. I tried to stretch really bad and I, my cleats slipped out. I did the complete splits. I'm talking like butt to the ground splits and tore my hamstring. So I missed like, almost the entire freshman season. It came back like near the end of playoffs or near like near regional that time, like end of the season. So there was a lot of, um, between going from my junior year of high school where like didn't play senior year, didn't really play freshman year either. There was like this big gap where I never really even had to prove myself. I never had to experience any failure or do whatever. So this like blind confidence just kind of continued all the way through like year after year because I never actually had to like go do anything. Um, so I was always like, oh man, like I'm just going to go kill it whenever I get healthy, kill it whenever I get healthy. So then basically I, I started out um, the back end of my freshman year getting an opportunity to play. And I look back on it and I'm almost, I know it's like weird to say grateful for injuries, but like that in 2010, the ACC had like some of the best arms in baseball, it's like Matt Harvey and Danny Holson. We faced Chris Sale that year. We faced, I mean, it was just like dude after dude after dude after dude. And I wonder, had I been in the lineup every day, had I like, I wonder how I would have played. And I wonder if I get in there and face these because I was face, I was hurt for most of it. Um, and I'm curious how playing against those guys would have went. You know, if I maybe I struggled a little bit and then my confidence takes a little bit of a hit, like I don't really know. But um, so I never really had to do any of that. And then I was basically from the back end of my freshman year on, 
was my like college career. And by that point, I didn't feel like a freshman anymore. Yeah, Friday night in the ACC is pretty tough sledding in yeah. almost any year. But I'd, I'd imagine if you had any doubts at all, even the smallest doubt about if you made the right choice heading to Clemson, playing in the College World Series, probably like the basically the peak of college baseball probably would have helped ease that. And at least you got back from those injuries in time to go to Omaha. When you when you take a trip to Omaha as a freshman, did you did you think, hey, we're going to be back here the next two years? Or was it something that you were able to take in and say this might be a once in a lifetime thing? I mean, absolutely. In my mind, the reason I came to Clemson was to come to Omaha, right? So we, because, you know, at that point, um, Clemson had been to Omaha at least like every single, every class of Clemson baseball player for like 20 years basically went to Omaha at least once. They, they went to Omaha at least every three years. So, um, which is a pretty amazing stat. And uh, maybe it was four years, every three years, every four years. I don't know. Basically, if you stayed your entire like four years, you were going to go to Omaha at least once is, is basically how Clemson was like when I first went there. Um, and so when we first when we went there my freshman year, I mean, we were a pretty loaded team. I'm thinking, yeah, this is going to be three years of this and and we're going to get at least one of these national championships for sure. I mean, that was the my mentality going into it. Absolutely. Um, and it was pretty cool to think that we were the last year at Rosenblatt. Um, pretty historic field. And I'm glad that I got an opportunity to play on that it was really awesome. Well, you guys didn't make it back, but you did make yourself into a first rounder by the end of your tenure at Clemson. You survived the dead ball era of college baseball, BB core bats and high seam balls. Um, it was the, the era I got, it was the era I got to pitch in, which I'm very, very thankful for. Uh, but you know, if you had gone to Clemson and stayed the same guy you were in high school, that kind of prospect, you likely wouldn't have been a first rounder. So what about your tenure did – what did you learn or improve on that made you a, a first-round elite prospect again three years later? Yeah, I mean I think it was just learning who I was as a player and just trying to maturing into that as much as possible and leaning into that. Um, one thing that I recognized really early on, and maybe this stemmed from my high school days where I wouldn't get pitched to that often, was trying to be patient and trying to like – you know, really locate, you know, your zone and try to figure out, you know, hey, this is what I do damage with. These are the pitches that I don't do well with. And this is how they're going to attack me. Let's try to formulate a game plan to try to be as picky as possible and swing at only the pitches we want. And so I, mean, I think there was, I think I, my, my, my junior year, I think I had more walks than games played or something like that going into the game. So having that kind of patience and stuff like that was, was, uh, something that I, I learned early and sort of leaned into. And then I think that mentality made me look more polished to scouts, right? I mean, like scouts love to say like, oh, he's got a professional approach, like whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. But uh, so stuff like that, just kind of figuring out what your strengths were and just trying to maximize those and lean into them as much as possible, I think is just something that um, I got out of it. And then realistically, just, I mean, one thing that I – as much as college baseball, you know, gets a bad rep sometimes about um, doing some, you know, like some eyewash sort of silly things. One thing I'll say is that if you learning how to win, I think only happens at the college level. There's no you don't learn how to win in the minor leagues. It's all very individualized. It's all about your own statistics. It's all about your own success. And there's something I think there's a missing link that only exists in college baseball in terms of like more advanced baseball than high school, um, where Figuring out what you can do on a day-to-day -day basis to to help your team win games, I think, is in a super 
incredibly important intangible skill that I don't think you can generate, you know, in professional baseball. And so I think that I was, I was always about that. Um, I cared way more about winning than I did my own success. And I think that was something and that's like super, super cliche. I feel like people say that all the time, but I truly meant it. Like I didn't care if I went 0 for 4 on the day with four strikeouts, if we beat South Carolina, right? Like I didn't care at all. I would rather that I would have preferred that. But instead, most of the time it was like, I, I played well and we lost and I'm trying to like, Hey, like what could I have done better to help us get away? If there was nothing, then there was nothing I could do. But I think something like that is what really helped elevate my game to the level where scouts felt like I was a first round talent. Not to skip ahead to like the career retrospectives, but how long from after you left Clemson, did you play in a game that had any sort of similar stakes or environment that like a Clemson Friday night would environment wise in terms of energy and stuff like that. Yeah. I basically wasn't until maybe Durham when I got to triple a because Durham's got one of the best fan bases in the minor leagues in baseball. You know I mean, there was, I mean, we had weekends in Durham where we outsold the Rays. <laughs> That's like, I mean, we were the triple a team for the big league team. We were getting more fans than the big league team was. So, I mean, that atmosphere was pretty electric. They really cared about winning and stuff like that. So, um, being sort of young and getting to triple a early, that was sort of the first taste of that type of like energy and environment. But there's something different about stepping onto a big league field Especially like I remember, I'll never forget being in um, Toronto in 2015, and that's when they had like the Killer Bees lineup with uh, you know uh, Bautista and Donaldson and Carnacion and uh, Killer Bees. That's the Astros. I don't know why I said that, but that's the, they had that that incredible lineup that was they were fighting for the pennant. And I remember being in the Rogers Center, and there was like 52,000 people there. They're all waving white flags. There is nowhere else in the world you can get that type of environment and energy. So there's nothing preparing you for that. But in terms of like the game meaning something, I can honestly say I don't know I if I ever played another game like that, if I'm being completely honest. Because even when I was in the big leagues, there's this, there's this undeniable urge to like so desperately want to stay there. And so it's a lot about your individual performance because like, oh my God, I got here. I just want to be here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you start feeling like the the effects of wanting to win and lose until you're a guy um, like who was, you know, a guy who took me under my wing, Evan Longoria. Like he he's, you know, he was solidly there. He signed a 10-year deal. Like he was going to be in the big leagues. He knew this was his team, right? So now it becomes about winning. He's got his security. He's got his stuff. So now it becomes about wanting to win. I don't think anyone even experiences that level of desire to like want to sacrifice and win until you have that level of like security, not even financially, but just job stability wise in terms of like, you feel like you're going to be in the big leagues, no matter if you go 0 for 30 or 20 for 30. Right. So I mean, everyone else is just clinging on to hope. So I don't, I can honestly say after my last game at Clemson, I don't think I ever played a game where I wanted to win as badly as that game. And that's the, that's a God honest truth. I think that, in itself is kind of one of the the biggest appeal for a lot of guys of the 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 high school the college or pro ball decision is it's the it's the last real time you'll you'll experience games like that and want to win like that but um college doesn't last forever in the 2012 draft you're a first rounder there's no more there there's no real going back to college after this what is you know, walk me through your draft experience the second time around when it is it is more of a certainty that you're going to sign. What was what was draft day like or, you know, how did pre-draft differ from your senior year of high school? Um, yeah. So the 
there was a ton of question marks going into the draft for me. Um, and it was mainly because it was the first year of the new CBA that is, you know, very similar to what the draft is now. Um, and I say now I'm not referring to like the five round draft. I'm talking about like the hard slots and, and, you know, the draft pool money and all kind of kind of stuff. So this was the very first year of that draft. And so, uh, I, myself and my agent at the time were very, interested slash concerned about how teams were going to approach this draft. I think a lot of, I mean, I think we all knew that like a lot of teams were going to be very cautious with how they did things. Um, and so I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I mean, I, I had heard everything from I could get picked in the top 10 to I could get picked, um, you know, in the high teens. Um, but I was at my house in Charlotte, my, my parents' house in Charlotte with uh, you know, friends and family and we're singing, like hanging out, watching the draft together. And um, yeah, I ended up sliding a little bit, like not a little bit, like a decent bit farther than anticipated. Um, so it was, it was a little stressful because I'm sitting there and I got all these people around and I kind of was like falling pick by pick by pick and seeing, you know, some of these names pop up that, you know, necessarily like a, for pre-draft stuff, like weren't, you know, in the same range. So I'm like, Hey, like what's going on? And you see like, Oh, he's like, well, I think, you know, they're convincing a lot of these people to, to take deals because of the draft pool. I'm like, Hey, whatever. I, I don't, I don't care. It's just like, what's going on. So, um, it was, uh, it was a hectic moment. It was basically just trying to protect my ego from being honest. I just didn't want to be embarrassed, like in front of all these people and like not get picked. Um, but sure enough, I got picked by the Rays. It was an incredible experience. I was super grateful. Um, I found out on TV, just like everyone else did. I didn't get a, I didn't get a call beforehand. My agent didn't know. No one knew. So I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs and all of a sudden they called my nail like, Hey, let's go. So really cool moment. And I'm glad that, you know, my, my parents and family and brother there, my, my now wife who I was dating at the time, still in high school was there. Um, it was a really incredible moment and, and having all those years of, um, work and sweat and sacrifice and invalidation like that was, was awesome. So when you sign your contracts, you, you, you know, you get your bonus. What is your expectation for yourself? How quick did you think you'd get to the show? <laughs> what kind of career did you think you'd have? What, oh, was, what was your ETA? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think you've, you've, you've noticed a trend here with how my mental state was when I was younger, but like, I mean, I, I thought that I was, you know, going to be in the big leagues, maybe the next year, you know, if I'm like, if I'm slow, maybe like the like beginning of the year after that or something, I basically thought that I was just going to like skyrocket. They'll move Longoria for you. Yes, just... basically. No, I didn't necessarily know that. I just thought like they'll figure something out. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think, well, I, and I think that mentality is a reason why so many young kids are successful. And I think you have to have that type of confidence. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought I was just going to skyrocket through everything. And um, I didn't really hit my first speed bump until like my first full year. So I, I played short season in Hudson Valley. I kind of, everything transferred over beautifully to that, hit really well, went to the fall league. Um, I think I was like the only guy in the fall league that was in short season the year prior. I don't, I don't know if I was in, short, I was in the fall league before I ever played a full season. I'm not sure how many guys did that. Um, I can't imagine it's very many, but so I was like everything, the pieces seem to be like, you know, lining up. So I'm just going to skyrocket and I was going to have a hall of fame career. Right. Um, and then I go to the floor state league for my first full season. I kind of skip low a go to the floor state league. And that was probably the biggest 
like rude awakening I think I could have ever had. Um, not only in terms of like how to deal with, you know, your first full season as a professional player. I just don't think there's any preparing for that. I think you kind of have to go through your lumps and your bruises about how to prepare and how to handle yourself through a hundred and, you know, 50 game season. But not just that, I was also playing in, you know, offensively, uh, the most difficult league in baseball in terms of, of offensive production. So, um, I wasn't used to barreling balls like in the gap and them like not going out or them not falling or whatever, but I was just crushing balls left center, right center. They're just getting tracked down with ease in the gaps and uh, these, of these like monstrous spring training fields in the middle of Florida in, in July where it's 105 degrees and 90% humidity. And that just didn't, I didn't register in my brain that like these were natural things. I just thought like I wasn't playing well. So that first year of, 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 non-dominance i'll say because i wouldn't even say a struggle it was just non-dominance like really kind of hit me hard the first time in your life yeah basically yes basically um and so that really kind of hit me hard and it took me a little bit to to kind of recuperate from that um i didn't necessarily even play all that well for the majority of the season after that it wasn't until maybe around late July, August in double A the, 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 the next year that I started to really turn it on and, and, you know, kind of get back to myself. But yeah, that first, without any failure sort of in my life at that point, that was definitely a, a very rude awakening. When you look back at it though, now, were you really struggling as much as you thought you were? No, that's what I'm saying. That's why I call it non-dominance because I think I hit like, I think I had like 255 or something like that. And then I had like, either 11 or 14, I remember, but like whatever the amount of home runs I had, it was like third in the league, but like that was, it was the Florida state league. That's how that season worked. Then you didn't realize like, you like, that's how that league works in terms of offensive production, just being sort of squelched a little bit. Um, but in my mind, I wasn't hitting 400 and, you know, having a thousand on base percentage and just, you know, never striking out and walking all the time. So it was just like, I wasn't dominating like I was used to. So in my mind, I was awful. And so I think that like, level of of highs and lows kind of really affected me early in my career and I shouldn't even say early career I was I was pretty hot like up and down my whole career in terms of mental uh, confidence stuff like that and the Florida State League even for minor league baseball is a really unique atmosphere like you had come from and we we kind of just touched on this but you had come from Clemson big time ACC atmosphere the Florida State League you have hundreds of fans in the stands to pump you up Right. What was what was dealing with with that like and adjusting to the lifestyle, the bus rides, the hotels versus ACC lifestyle? Was that was that a big adjustment or were you able to you know take that in stride and say these are the lumps until you get to the show? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something I don't think I handled all that well early in my career um, because I was so team success oriented that it definitely was something difficult for me to get my head around um like hey we've lost 8 games in a row but you know you've you've gone 10 for you know 20 on the in, in those in that week if you had a good week like you should be happy you know, that's it was a weird concept for me and the vice versa right like the teams you know really doing well but like you haven't played all that well and so realistically like that's not necessarily a good thing. It was just a weird concept, especially too when you're on these bus rides and you're going somewhere, but you're going somewhere. There's not there's not a, a goal behind it in terms of like this team winning mentality. It's okay. Hey, we're gonna go here and we're gonna try to like get hits. So 
it was uh it was definitely something that that was difficult for me to grasp um and i wish i could go back in time and and tell myself like how to handle these things properly but i yeah i think those are sort of the the growing pains that you almost have to go through um and kind of figure out how you how you handle things properly you mentioned that when you got to clemson you didn't really get the you know that let the touted recruit thing get to your head or anything like that did the first round label and your own expectations get in your head when you weren't in, you know, when it was, when you were headed to double a Montgomery in 2014, instead of, you know, the big leagues, did you let that get to you at all? That kind of pressure, like I should be here, but I'm not. Um, what, what, what I would say is, yeah, a little bit, but I think it was more because, um, Social media was, you know, around a little bit prior to that, but it kind of came into its, you know, its, its current state right around this time. Um, you know, maybe 2010 to 2000 and, you know, 12, 13, 14. And so social media became a really big presence. And I started reading a lot of like negativity about myself, not understanding that it's, you know, just hot takes or what are people just like trying to make contact or, you know, or content or whatever in terms of, you know, people saying I underperformed in a ball and, and articles about me, you know, potentially being a bust after just one season or stuff. So there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that I, if, like, if I go back in time, I would just tell myself like, Hey dude, like <laughs> don't make a Twitter or Facebook, just literally just stay off. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try of it and your head is going to be way better. So there was the first, that was the first time that really anyone had ever said negative things about me before everything up until that point was like how awesome I was. So it was, I had used a lot of that, you know, validation from other people as my own like self-worth. And so naturally without having any better understanding of it, I, I naturally took all the negative things as, you know, devalue myself as well. So, um, I didn't do a very good job staying off that. I didn't, I didn't realize how, you know, destructive and toxic it was. I wish I could go back in time and do that, but I just, I, I, you know, you're just young and dumb. But, uh, yeah. So I think that the pressure definitely started to build in terms of feeling like, uh, you know, not wanting to be looked at as a, as a bust or failure or whatever, for sure. Well, your last month of your first stint in double a something clicks, you hit per your, your 2015 BA scouting report, uh, you slash 273, 398, 591. You hit seven home runs. You carry that into 
the next year where you mash in double A, you mash in triple A, you end up making your debut. What what clicked right there? Was it a was it a swing adjustment? Was it a mental adjustment? Was it a little bit of both? Yeah, it was definitely a little bit of both. Um, it was definitely a little bit of a swing adjustment um, because I was a little early to the uh, the launch angle, you know, craze. I was a little like early to that party, and so I was like trying to do some things that I didn't know what I was doing, and I also. Um, you know, made these changes for the wrong reason. So I had my hitting coordinator at the time, who's now the, the race hitting coach, uh, Chad Matola. He came into town and was like, bro, like, like, what are you doing? Like, just like, you can hit, stop doing all this stuff. Like, let's just get back to what you feel natural doing. And you know, what we were drafted for, what your college swing looked like, what your short season swing looked like. Let's just get back to, you know, who you are. Stop trying to like do all this other stuff. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And then it was a combination of that and just like kind of getting angry. Like I was just getting angry that I, you know, was, allowing myself to, um, you know, underperform. So it was a combination of that, um, where in double a, that, that sort of sparked that. And then in that off season, I had also recognized the need that I needed to get physically a lot, physically stronger. Uh, I was just, I was pretty a string bean. <laughs> I was pretty, pretty frail and thin when I first got drafted. I think I weighed about like maybe 200 pounds soaking wet. It might have 205 on my draft sheet, but that was probably an exaggeration. So, um, I realized instantly that especially the back end of the year, you need strength to be able to carry through the season. So I made this huge commitment, um, to get in the weight room. And I think that, I mean, I put on about 25, 30 pounds in the off season. I came back looking like a completely different person and it completely changed my game. And I think all those combination of things is what catapulted me back into the trajectory that I wanted. Probably about a year from your first stint in double A when you were, you were probably hovering around the Mendoza line. The next year you are starting in the futures game. What is, you know, what is that experience like just being in the futures game, finding out and actually being a part of it? Cause that was a loaded futures game lineup. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, it was a really, really cool experience. Um, something I'm super grateful for. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, I don't know. I mean, like you said, I, things had not gone up to as planned uh, prior to that. So everything happened really fast. All the success kind of happened really quickly up to that point. So I kind of got sucked back into my bad mindset of the previous years. Um and it was it was incredible being around uh, so many incredible players. Uh, I mean, it was it was Judge, Trevor Story, Trey Turner, Michael Conforto, Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber. Um, I mean, it was it was a stacked, stacked, stacked lineup. Um, and I was hitting cleanup like right in the middle of it. So it was it, it was obviously something that was extremely validating and, and, and I was so grateful for, and it was really cool. I got to play on a big league stadium. I'd only done that a couple of different times. I, I think we played at Fenway once, um, in the Cape and in short season, I think that's basically the only other time I'd step foot on a major league field. So, uh, actually I got to play in the race stadium one time in, in instructional league. Uh, but yeah, so we got to play in a major league stadium in front of a big crowd. Um, we got treated like big leaguers. It was a really, really cool experience. And I think once you get that taste, uh, even just a little bit of what that big league lifestyle is like, you're like, man, like this is all I want now. And pretty soon after that, you get an, an even bigger taste of what big league lifestyle is like. Walk me through the first call. 
Yeah, I mean, that was incredible. I mean, that's everything you dream of as a kid. Um, I, we were at home in Durham, uh, like the fifth, sixth inning or something like that. And, and the inning's over and our manager, Jared Sandberg, calls me over and takes me out of the game. And I'm confused. I thought like, I thought I messed up. I was like, did I not run a ball out or something? Like what happened? I thought I was like getting punished. And, uh, he like lets me stew in it for a second too. And I'm like, so confused. Like, wait, maybe I got traded. I don't know. And then maybe like five minutes later, he comes over and he's like, Hey man, like you're going to the big leagues and shakes my hand. And I was just like, Oh man, that those words coming out of anyone's lips directed at you is like one of the most incredible feelings of all time. Um, it makes like everything that you've ever done in your life with, in terms of baseball, with all the sacrifices and all the blood, sweat and tears that go into it, just, you know, it's such a rewarding feeling. And I remember just going in the clubhouse and just sitting on my stool and just sort of shaking for a while and, uh, just being so overwhelmed and calling my parents, calling my fiance, um, and just incredible. And then just packing up and, and trying to find a way to get some sleep that night. So I was flying to Chicago the next morning. And then you gotta, you gotta walk us through the first hit cause you had a pretty special yeah, first yeah. hit. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Me. Yeah. So uh, the first hit a little oppo taco to right field and, uh, against the white Sox, it was pretty incredible. So we were, Chris sale started the game and I remember striking out just like horribly in my first at bat, like just getting absolutely dominated. And he does that. Oh I, yeah. But it was just like, I mean, the so bad, but it was more because I was so sped up and I was like, you know, freaking out. I'm like, this is Chris sale. Oh my God. And then I remember something just sort of hit me when I came back in the dugout. I'm like, Hey man, like look around, dude. Like you guys are at the same level. There's no level higher than this. Like you and him are for all intensive purposes, you're equals right now. Like, yes, he might be a Cy Young winner, an all-star, but you guys are equals. You're at the same level. He's not rehabbing in double A right now and he should strike you out. Like you guys are equal. Like go up there and prove to everyone that you belong here. And uh, I remember I, I had really good at bats off him. The next couple, I think I drew a walk. I just missed a ball, skied it to the infield or whatever. But I felt like I felt it coming. I'm like, yeah, like I'm back. I feel it. I feel it. And then they brought in a reliever, righty Daniel Webb. And I had hit righties better that year, the entire year anyway. I'm not quite sure why they insisted on having me <laughs> platoon against lefties, but that's another conversation. Um, and I knew he had a big fastball. And I'm like, hey, man, if I just touch this thing, we're going. It's going. And sure enough, I got a, a good fastball over the plate, like 96 down and away and got in the air and it went out. And man, it was just, ah, you can't even begin to describe how incredible a feeling it was. So the conversation you hinted at, though, about platooning with lefties, once you get up, you're not you're not playing super regularly. What is it like trying to get your footing in the big leagues as a young guy in that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, it's not a great situation, obviously, for young guys like that. I think, um, you know, I mean, I'm not one. I'm obviously grateful for my opportunities and hindsight's always 2020. But I think realistically, if you're ever going to call up a young guy and give him an opportunity to perform, like you got to try to give him some semblance of what was normal for him in the minor leagues um, as much as that's possible. Right. So uh, it, it that's a situation where you're sort of just setting a guy up for failure. You know what I mean? Like I, it is up to me to go out there and perform and do my job. And I just didn't do that enough to, to justify me staying there for a long period of time. But you know, you're asking a young kid who's never been in the big leagues, um, he never pinched hit in his life, uh, to all of a sudden 
You're asking him to try to be successful against the best lefty closers in the AL East. I said, like, you know, arguably the most dominant division in baseball. This is, this is Zach Britton. This is Andrew Miller. This is Araldis Chapman. I mean, these are like wipeout closers. And these are the only at bats that you're given a 24 year old kid who, mind you, wasn't even invited to major league spring training that season because I guess they didn't. You know, they didn't foresee me having the year I did. So I didn't know the manager. I didn't know anyone on the team. There was just, it was just a, you know, a tough situation to try to get comfortable in. And I did the best I could. Um, but, you know, it was just, it, 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 it was unfortunate that it played out that way because I think when I was given opportunities to, to start, I'm given opportunities to face righties and, and, and feel more comfortable throughout my thing, throughout my, throughout the game, I, I performed, you know, more, appropriate to how I played. But, you know, I, I'm obviously grateful for any opportunities I had. I just wish looking back on it, I wish that, you know, it would have been more of like, hey, we're going to give you 100 at bats. You know, you know, you have to look over your shoulder. If you strike out twice, you're first not going to get pinched hit for like, here's 100 at bats, show us what you can do, right? Instead of, hey, you're going to play every third day, you may get a spot start against David Price. Good luck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't like, I don't know what to tell you there. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, that's, I'm going to do, I guess I'll, I'm going to go get him. Uh, yeah, sure. Oh, wait, wait, you haven't played in five days, but here's a pinch hit against Jake Diekman, a lefty throw on 99 from the left side. Like, okay, I, all right, sure. Let me go get him. You need the spot start against the guy who's spot starting for, for David Price. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. Well, when you head back to the minor leagues after some extended big league time, after you've you've tasted what it's like in the big leagues and you've become a big league player forever, you'll be able to say, I was a big league player. What is the mentality when you are back in AAA? Do you feel like there's there's stuff I got to work on or is it just more like oh, I'm stuck here until something opens upstairs? I think that is what you make of it. Um, and I think the first time it happened for me, I had a very good mindset about it. I'm like, Hey, I got my taste. I know things I need to work on. Honestly, now that I'm here in the minor leagues, this seems like everything seems so much slower and easier. And I, I hit really well when I got called back down. And it was honestly a little bit of like, Hey, I'm going to prove to them that they shouldn't have optioned me. They should have optioned someone else. I'm going to prove myself that I'm going to get back there. What I will say is that the more that that happens and the more you get optioned up and down and the more you get tossed back around, the less that mindset, you know, maintains and you get sucked into some of the negative mindsets of like, Ugh, I'm just stuck here. There's nothing I can do anyway. It doesn't matter if I perform. And that's a really bad mindset to have, but it's, it's very difficult to avoid if you don't have, um, you know, some people around you that are, and I, 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 I attribute that to like veteran guys in the clubhouse that can help you, you know, maintain a, a, a positive mindset through that. So you have those two years with the Rays with a little bit of big league time, triple A time, and then it gets into the 2016-2017 offseason. And I think I want to take this transaction by transaction with, with <laughs> what your mentality was like, because it's just you you endured quite the offseason. On November 18th, right, 2016, yeah. you're traded to uh, to the Mariners with along with uh, Taylor Motter for Dalton Kelly and Andrew Kittridge and Dylan Thompson after being traded what what is the what is the mindset were you optimistic about your new start with the Mariners yes and no I mean I was pretty devastated when the Rays traded me um I felt like they had given up on me I felt like um this is 
you know, especially coming from my background where I was so team oriented or whatever, like to me, like the Rays felt like part of me. Like, they drafted me and like, I felt like I was a Ray, right? So I, I really felt, um, I really felt, I was pretty, I was pretty hurt when I got traded. And then I, I was young still ish at the time. And I, I still didn't fully grasp like what it meant to be like, you know, the major leagues is a business and that it's not, you know, it's not, it, it is a business it's just straight up. There's no other way of putting it. And, but then again, I'm like, Hey, this other team traded for me. So they went out of their way to trade other players so they could have you. So I was very optimistic about that. I'm like, Hey, you know what? This team called me. I remember, I remember this team traded for me. I remember like it was yesterday, Jerry DePoto calling me and just basically convincing me that I was like going to be the next great, you know, Seattle Mariner with Ken Griffey and Edgar Martinez. <laughs> and, you know, like, so just talk, singing my praises for, you know, 10 minutes straight. So I was extremely optimistic. And then obviously that you know, didn't work out, but. And then less than a month later, on December 14th, you are claimed by the on waivers by the Phillies. What is the what's going through your mind at that point, right before Christmas? Yeah, I mean, that was um, that was really hard because that to me, you know, as 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 arrogant as it sounded or whatever, like I never viewed myself as a player that was like DFA-able, right? Like I never viewed myself as a player who a team would just like give away. I always thought like I was, I was, you know, sort of above that if I'm being honest, right? But that was sort of thing. So when that happened, that really altered my whole landscape on like who I was as a player. I was like, wait a minute, these guys are just willing to like get rid of me. I'm so confused. They just traded for me. They're talking about how incredibly excited they are to have me and they see all these incredible things for my future, and then, you know, there's some fifth guy down the totem pole in the front office for the Mariners calls me. I've never met him before. I was like, wait, where's Jerry? Where, where'd Jerry go? Jerry's not talking to you anymore. So it's um, it's a very, very, very interesting concept getting DFA'd like that, um, especially when you consider, you know, the previous year, like we talked about, I was in the futures game and, and everything seemed so promising. Getting DFA'd that quickly just seemed like... Um, didn't, it didn't even seem in the realm of possibility. So it really took me by surprise. And then uh, when the Phillies called, I was like, okay, like that's cool. And I'm going to be a Philly. That's the end of this madness for sure. But obviously, like we're going to get into that again was not the issue. Nine days later on December 23rd, literally right before Christmas, you were claimed on waivers by the Reds from the Phillies. Yeah, that sucked. Uh, I, at this point, I have no idea like what's going on. I'm completely... I have no sense of – I thought I had a pretty solid understanding of, of my career and how it was going to go and all this kind of stuff. But at this point, I'm completely lost. Um, the same thing happened again. Philly's GM calls when he claims me, talks all this good stuff. Some, you know, the guy who uh, – maybe like a clubby for AA calls me and tells me I got DFA. So it was like this. The GM calls you with good news. Some other random guy you've never met before calls you with bad news. Um and there's really no arguing or no negotiating with it. It's just, okay, you're off the team and now you're going to be with them. And I, I didn't know what to think anymore. I didn't know if people wanted me or didn't want me because I was getting DFA, but I was kind of getting picked up. So I didn't know what to think. And then finally, a month later on January 26, you are claimed on waivers by the Indians from the Reds. I would imagine at that point, you've already started making spring training preparations. What, what goes through that? Had you already planned on heading down to Reds camp? Yeah. The only positive thing I can say about my short 
stint on the roster with the Reds is that I uh, was making arrangements, like you said, for spring training. And I called the Reds clubby and I had ordered like 18 bats for big league camp. And so when the Reds DFA'd me and the Indians picked me up, I called the Indians clubby and I told him that I hadn't ordered bats yet. So I ordered another 18 bats from the Indians. And so both bats ended up showing both sets of bats ended up showing up to the uh, Indians uh, spring training facility. So that was literally the only good thing that came of that. At this point, I was so like, I was at as low as I could get in terms of, well, actually not, not really, but, um, I was, I was really low. I was pretty like, I don't know what to think anymore, but all of this, uh, at this point I was started to trend in the other direction instead of being like, you know, upset and, and not knowing what's going on. At this point I was kind of getting pissed and I'm like, I'm about to show everyone like that they're making a huge mistake. And I was sort of getting like this chip on my shoulder mentality, which I'd never really had before because I'd never really gone through any type of adversity like that. So I was starting to develop this like chip on my shoulder mentality um, at the back end of all this. Um, and then obviously when Cleveland outrights me right before camp, uh, that was like the final straw. But you go down to Columbus, Cleveland sends you to AAA, and you have you have a pretty good first half of the season. What was what was clicking there? Did you feel like you were a big leaguer still? You just needed a shot? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had spent most of the offseason um making some swing changes. Like I said earlier, like I was a little early to like the launch angle revolution and all this stuff. Well, I feel like there was a lot more material out there and and some people that I knew what you're talking about. This is kind of during the Donaldson craze too, where everyone was trying to swing like Josh Donaldson. And, um, so I, I had spent the whole off season revamping my swing. I felt like I had, I had noticed a bit of a hole in my swing, um, that I was getting exposed at, at a big league level that I could kind of get away with at the triple A level a little bit. So I revamped the whole thing. I was feeling really confident about it. I, I played really well. So yeah, I was like, Hey man, like I am a big leaguer. I just like, I just, someone's got to give me a shot. Absolutely. And you made it to the triple A all-star game, the MVP of the triple A all-star game. Yeah, if I remember correctly, and then Correct. you yeah. get a then you get a call or your agent gets a call. Or the Indians get a call from a, a KBO team. Is that correct? Walk me through that. Yeah. So um, my agent calls me and he was like, hey, I'm just letting you know there's nothing you can do about this, but I'm just letting you know that uh, you know, a KBO team reached out, tried to purchase your contract, uh, but the Indians, you know, denied the the offer. They They wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't sell. Um, they're like, I just want to let you know that uh, there's there's really no there's really nothing we can do. Um, it, it's they have every right to do that. Um, just wanted to like let you know because I didn't want you to hear it through the grapevine or whatever that this is a transaction that could have happened. That whatever. I was like, okay, uh, thanks. Like, why do you think they did that? He's like, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe the only reason that they would want to do this because possibly they could have plans for you at a big league level um, and and you're really good depth for them to have as a, just an emergency, just in case. Like, okay. Um, so at the time I, I wasn't overly upset about it because I figured, Hey, I'm playing so well. Um, I'm one of the best players in the national league at this point. Like I wasn't too upset about it because I'm like, Hey, like, I'm going to get back to the big leagues this year. I can feel it. Like I'm doing everything. Like uh, this is all trending towards me getting back to the big. League. So I wasn't that upset about it. Um, at, at, at the time, would you have wanted to go, to the to to play in Korea had the opportunity been something that the Indians would have okayed. Had I known I wasn't going to get called up in September, absolutely right. Um, but that's all. That's the hard thing to do, right? Is 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 weighing what you think your opportunities are going to be, and I think a lot of like these fringe foray guys like me have to go through is is weighing the um, 
the probability that you're going to get an opportunity at the major league level. Um, so at the time, I don't know. At the time, it depends. It, honestly, it would have been a financial decision. It would have been strictly a financial decision. Like how much were they going to offer? Is this something that I couldn't turn down? It was going to be half a season. If I do this, uh, I'm a free agent. I can turn right back around and, and sign with a, a major league club the next year. Um, versus, hey, like, you know, I think you got a good opportunity to get called up even before September, maybe in August, and you get, you know, a two and a half months of, of major league service time. Then obviously I would have want to stay there, but it, it's hindsight's 2020. And obviously I can sit here and say, yeah, I wish I, I would have had an opportunity to do so. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to sit here and say like, yes, I would have a- absolutely done that, but I would have liked to at least heard an offer. So the Indians don't call you up. They're their first place team that year. They're they're pretty loaded. You don't get the call. Where's your where's your mentality and what's your work look like in the offseason as far as getting yourself back to the big leagues? Um, yeah, so that was pretty uh, that was a, another kind of tough blow for me because I felt like I had done everything in my power. I had 30 home runs. I drove in 90 like I had 800 plus OPS. I did all the things I felt like would have earned me a big league promotion. I didn't get it. So now I'm like back to the drawing board. I'm like, okay, like what is it that these teams just aren't seeing in me um, that is keeping them from wanting to pull the trigger on me, you know, being an everyday major league or even getting the opportunity to even do so. And the one thing I can just think of is like, maybe you just, the numbers just aren't good enough. I mean, I, I, I guess that was the only thing I could go to was like, Hey, like, yeah, you get 30. Yeah. You drove a nine, but you struck out too much or your average wasn't high enough or whatever. So, I was sort of desperate at this point to try to find anything to to kind of elevate my game. And I sought out um, this hitting guru, um, one of these like uh, online hitting guru guys, you know, the type of guys that, you know, make these claims for, you know, the J.D. Martinez transformation, the Justin Turner transformation and the Josh Donaldson transformation. You hear all these guys that, um, you know, went to these these um, hitting gurus Um and have this awesome success. And so this was, this year was when Aaron Judge sort of had his incredible blow up and became this superstar, right? And so me and Judge just sort of came up the minor league system together. And, and Judge is a great dude. He's incredible. He's just this freaky athletic dude. But I'd always felt like I was a little bit ahead of him mechanically, baseball wise, like hitting, like just pure hitter wise throughout the minor league. So I'm like, hey, if, if this guy that Judge went to, did this to judge, he can surely do it to me too. Cause I feel like we're very comparable in terms of our ability. And so I reach out to this guy and I fly it and go hit with them or whatever. And he's got a very, um, uh, non-traditional way, I guess is a way of putting it, way of thinking about hitting and doing stuff like that. And I'm like, Hey, this is weird, whatever, but you know what? Like this worked for judge. He's a superstar now. Like this will work for me too. And, uh, for whatever reason, it just, it imploded on me and it did not work at all. And it, completely just destroyed my swing and I was the worst I have ever been. I mean, I was not, I was not a competitive baseball player in 2018, I guess in the beginning, like my swing was so bad. And I want to like clarify that I don't blame this hitting guru guy, right? I mean, I sought him out and obviously whatever he teaches worked for him. You know, it just wasn't something that translated in my brain to my swing for whatever reason. Um, and but it just destroyed my swing and I played awful and I couldn't figure out how to fix it because I had spent so much time, you know, revamping my swing to this. So I had nothing to fall back on. And I got released by May. And I mean, I was hitting a buck 
80 maybe. It was really bad. And uh, I couldn't find a job for you know two months and some change. I finally get picked up by Milwaukee just as like a flyer. And they sent me to double A to like fill in for a guy who got hurt. And I haven't been to double A in years at this point. I've been in the big leagues. It was just like, I don't know. And then uh, I got called back up to AAA and just spent most of the time on the bench hanging out. And then at that, after that offseason, I was a free agent and didn't get a single offer for the rest of like basically ever again. And you know, now I'm out of baseball. So it all happened, like the, all the ups, all the downs were all these like really hard spikes in both directions. And it was kind of a bizarre um, way of doing it. So it was, um, it was definitely a roller coaster for sure, but I'm in a good place about it now. When you didn't get an offer after 2018, was there any thought to hanging it up? No, zero. Yeah, zero. Um, I, well, I mean, it was, I was still convinced I was going to get an offer all the way, like, until like almost spring training started. So I was still holding out hope and holding out hope. And, and, um, I was calling literally every contact I had ever made in baseball because a lot of my, a lot, actually, a lot of guys that I was, were in, hitting coaches or pitching coaches or managers in the minor leagues all had these like major league level positions. Now they were bench coaches or they were director of, of player development or like they had a lot. I had a lot of friends in high places apparently. And uh, unfortunately it didn't translate to a single offer anywhere across the board, but uh, which rightfully so. I mean, I didn't play, I didn't earn an opportunity to do so, but no, there was zero, zero thought at that point of hanging it up. I was still, you know, really convinced that, um, I could get myself back to uh, a, a competitive major league level. But now I kind of had to look at what my alternatives were. And that alternative was heading to high point in the Atlantic league, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. What, correct. What's your, your, your one season in, in indie ball, what was going to high point? Like, what is that experience? And how do you look back on that now after one year in indie ball? Uh, I loved it, man. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Uh, I thought it was incredible. It was by far the most fun I had playing baseball basically since college, for sure. Um, it was one of the most freeing experiences for me. And honestly, I think it's the only reason I can even look back on my career with the perspective and um, the you know the joy I have now looking back on it, right? I like going into that. I just, I kind of viewed my career as a failure. I viewed myself as a failure. I really thought that like, because I didn't have some 10 year major league career that, you know, I had sort of failed in some capacity and it took going to indie ball and going back to like fall back in love with the game play for, I mean, I'm going to, I definitely was trying to get picked back up for sure. But I would say that to me, it was way more about proving to myself that I was the player that I knew I was than it was proven to anyone else at this point. And by doing that and, and, and accomplishing that, I, I played pretty well in, in, in indie ball. And, um, by doing that, I think it, it helped me get some, a fresh perspective on how I played in my career and the accomplishments I have and, and, and be able to look at those with pride and not so much, um, you know, negativity. So I'm extremely, extremely grateful for indie ball. And I would highly recommend, you know, anyone who's in, that, you know, scenario to attempt it. You have to go into it with a positive mindset though, right? Because it is the wild west and it is pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty crummy, you know, accommodations for a lot of it. You're back to essentially like a ball, rookie ball level accommodation. So you definitely have to go into it with like that right mindset. But if you do, I think you'll have a blast. 
do you think so technically now you you have said you're retired you've moved on you're doing your twitch you're doing your writing did that indie ball year make it easier to say i'm i'm done it didn't give you that itch of hey i need to i need to keep at this i mean it helped a little bit you know it helped me it helped me enough to like actually decide to like step away but if i'm being completely honest if if a team called me right now and said hey we got a 60 game season we don't have a guy because whatever and we released all our minor league free agents we need a dude can you come play like uh that's what i was gonna ask <laughs> when is the so- when's the last time you've taken bp so it's actually really funny. I, I took some BP yesterday because a couple buddies of mine are putting together like a little um, self-organized pro sandlot game to try to get ready for spring training. Because a lot of these guys, they've had no, uh, they haven't been able to face live pitching or 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 face batters or do whatever. So there's a bunch of guys putting together like a pro type like sandlot game or whatever to get some work in because you don't have access to facilities and stuff like that. So, and he's like, Hey, I need a body. I just need anyone. Would you mind coming down and playing third for me? Like, bro, are you kidding me? Absolutely. So I took, uh, I took a little, I took some, took some swings yesterday and I'm heading down and, uh, and going to hopefully not hurt myself in that tomorrow. So that, that's when, you know, that's when, you know, you've reached like a, a weird point of age where you're just worried about not hurting yourself as opposed to, as yeah, opposed no to actually, you know, performing. Um, you know, you haven't you haven't gotten the chance. You're not you're not done done, but you haven't yet had that that chance to what or basically been forced to watch baseball while no longer being a baseball player. How do you 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 kind of mentioned that that going to High Point gave you you know a, a different perspective about your career and a, a different outlook on baseball. How do you just just now? How do you feel? about your entire career how do you feel about baseball being able to look back on it now semi-retired yeah i mean i think because of indie ball and i think because of that last year that i had i think i can look back on it and say that like i had an incredible career that i'm extremely proud of and i worked my butt off every single day that i was in it and i can look back on it with so much pride and i have you know i have a laundry list of accomplishments that i should be proud of and for the longest time i really wasn't and um, I'm, you know, I can look back on those with pride now and say that, you know, I, I did a lot of incredible things that, um, you know, a lot of people just don't have the opportunity to do so. And so I'm, I'm extremely grateful for my time with that. But yeah, I, I, I definitely must admit that I haven't been, um, too eager for baseball to return yet. Cause I know that when I'm watching it and not playing it, there's going to be a different level of, uh, of, you know, yearning to get back into it. But I am very excited for baseball to get back going and watching it, though, because I think at this point I'm far enough removed that I've sort of <laughs> I've allowed myself a little bit of, of, of buffer time between retiring and baseball. And, 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 and I also can say that, like, I genuinely love baseball again now. I think I'm way more involved with baseball now than I was prior, like the prior years, because I've when I was going down to finishing my degree at Clemson, I was, you know, spending some of my off days, like helping some of the guys with hitting and, and, and sharing, you know, my knowledge of the game. And I really, really enjoyed giving back to, you know, some younger players and trying to, you know, show them things that I had to learn the hard way and try to get them to like, not have to make the same mistakes I did. And I found myself just really enjoying being around the game 
And I think I have a super unique perspective that very, very, very few people have gone through in terms of being like on top of the world, being <laughs> down in the sewers, being everything in between um, that I think I have a lot to give back to, to people. So and uh, to players and, and I really enjoy doing that. So I have a much healthier outlook than I've had in a really long time. Well, that kind of gets into my last question. If you could talk to yourself and I would say if you could if you could talk to your younger self, maybe before you head out to the Florida State League, because I think that's probably the first moment of of real stress in your career. What would what would you lay out for young, you know, 22 year old Richie Schaefer about things he should do differently or just the advice you would give yourself? Yeah, I mean, there's like just an insane amount of things that I would try to do. Honestly, so much so that I've toyed around with the idea of making like a uh, road to the show guide for young players and fill it with all kind of advice from older, crusty players like myself with all the things that, you know, I wish I knew type things. And, and not just my experiences, but people that have, you know, gone on and had more successful careers than I've had and, and filling these things like, Hey, listen, one thing I would tell myself is, dude, you got to number one, you've got to get in the weight room a lot earlier than you did. I just need to be more physical, learn how to sleep, learn how to eat. And probably the biggest thing of anything was just, dude, patience, my man, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Just have some patience. Like, I think that's the biggest thing in the world is, is the difficulty of understanding that 0 for 12 is four days, three days, maybe, you know what I mean? It's literally three days, but when you're 0 for 12, it feels like you've been, it's a month worth of at bats. It's literally been three days. So patience, patience, patience. If I could just preach to myself that one thing, I think I would have been an exceptionally better player because I just had no patience for failure, none, zero. And this game is just just riddled with failure at every single turn. So if I could just get back and, and tell my younger self, dude, just be patient and just stick with your game every single day. You got to go out there. You got to put your blinders on and you'll look up at the end of the season. Your numbers will be great, but you got to have patience. Ride the wave, ride the storm. I promise you everything will be well, but don't try to reinvent the wheel every fourth day. Well, Richie, I appreciate you sharing your story with me, talking about your career. It was a lot of fun hearing your hearing your stories. Uh, tell the folks again where they can follow you on social media, where they can catch your Twitch account, and when your new book's coming out. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so on Twitter, it's uh, rshafe8. That's R-S-H-A-F-F-8. Um, and I post just you know my stuff about my switch and baseball and my my future writing career coming up on instagram it's dicky danger eight um and then twitch tv slash dicky danger is my twitch i stream every monday wednesday friday at 11 i play a lot of you know uh like call of duty and, and fun games like that i'm you know kind of a silly dude we like to have a lot of fun over there and then hopefully my sci-fi novel the eight of earth will be coming out Ugh, i don't honestly really know hopefully sometime late august maybe early september uh, and then you can kind of find out more information about that at uh, SchaeferStories.com. And I would love if anyone, everyone would come in and, and, and check some of those things out and reach out to me on Twitter and connect. Absolutely. Well, all those links will be in the show notes. Richie, thanks again for coming on from Phenom to the Farm. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Big thanks to Richie Schaefer for taking the time to uh, tell us his career story. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe to From Phenom to the Farm wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com for everything that's going on with MLB Summer Camp and next year's 2021 draft. With that, my name is Kyle Banduho, and thanks for listening.